0: The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit www.gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff and I am your host. Today I have with me in the studio the Reverend Dr. Kevin Backus. Dr. Backus, thank you for joining me.
1: Zach, it's great to be here, especially to get to do this live with you.
0: Yeah, this is wonderful. Dr. Backus is a longtime pastor and minister in the Bible Presbyterian Church, And he joins us today to speak with us about the 81st Synod of the BPC. Again, that's the Bible Presbyterian Church. I'll probably be referring to this denomination as the BPC throughout our conversation. They had their 81st Synod uh, from August 3rd through August 7th, so that was very recently. And they held it up in Edmonton at the Edmonton Bible Presbyterian Church that's in Alberta, Canada. And Dr. Backus, a little bit more about him, he is the pastor of the Bible Presbyterian Church on Grand Island in New York, he is also a fellow with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, that's the ACBC, and he has been a member of the BPC since he became a Christian as a teenager. He's been on the pastoral staff of his church in Grand Island since 1982, and he's been the senior pastor there since 1998. Recently, this year, back at our May board meeting at the seminary, he was elected to the Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary Board of Trustees, which now means that we have representatives or men who hold some kind of credentials in the URCNA, the PCA, the OPC, the BPC, the RCUS, the EPCEW, and the ARP on our board. I think I named all of them. And uh, if you if you want more of that, you can go get some Se- Chef Boyardee alphabet soup because that's a lot of letters all jumbled into one.
1: It almost sounds like a small meeting of Napark taking place.
0: It does. It does. It sounds like a small meeting of Napark. You're very right. We have a board retreat this week, which is why Dr. Backus is with us. And I'm very excited to hear more and learn more about the BPC and this year's synod. Dr. Backus, very briefly, and for the benefit of our listeners who are unfamiliar, familiar with the Bible pres, myself included, what are some of the distinctives, culturally, historically, and theologically, of the BPC?
1: And you want that briefly, right? Culturally, historically, and theologically.
0: I'm kind of just leaving the door open <laughs> okay. for, you, for you to hit on whatever you want to talk about, any of
1: those things, and take in whatever direction you want. But well, in a few minutes. Yeah. The Bible Presbyterian Church, um, if people know American church history, and they th- know much about the Bible Presbyterian Church. They tend to think of it uh, in its iterations from the 30s and the 40s. That's when we came into its in- inception. And uh, the Bible Presbyterian Church of today is is probably significantly different in many ways. Um, the Bible Presbyterian Church today is uh, a church that is deeply rooted in a warm hearted, full orbed Calvinism. Um, uh, one of the uh, one of the observers, fraternal delegates. Describing his experiences as he's been many years with us at the Bible Presbyterian Church, coming to our synods and meeting us in our churches, because that's where we hold most of our synods, um, said that one of the things that impressed him was that um, this was a place where the confession lived. In other words, not only did the minister's um, pledge to uphold it, but he could see in the daily life of the church that a commitment to the standards was being lived out in the churches. So I think that's one of the things that people find about the BPC. And then the other thing that um, surprised me, because I get called sometimes to visit with people in different parts of the country who have churches that they're thinking of joining the Bible Presbyterian Church. And well, about a year ago, I had uh, three of those meetings in three days in different places, and I started saying, so why? You know, I mean, there's the alphabet soup that you just mentioned is, why are you interested in, in joining the Bible Presbyterian Church? And they said, we we think that, um, they, they talk about the confession and our confessional faithfulness, and they say, we think you're least likely to shift doctrinally. So to me, that's a positive statement that they recognize that there's a commitment to the standards, to the Word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, and it's a standard that's not um, constantly being challenged or eroded. And if that's true of the Bible Presbyterian Church, I thank the Lord for that and can be very happy.
0: I appreciate the way you put that, where it's a positive statement of a strength of the Bible pres rather than uh, some kind of implicit attack on another denomination. Um, because historically, when we look at church history, denominations tend to slide. They have a theological drift into some other land. So to have have the Bible pres uh, standing as a denomination that's recognized by outside observers as one that's least likely to shift doctrinally, that would be a huge compliment. It was, yeah. And that is a great strength. So stepping into another direction of getting to know the Bible pres a little bit, how many congregations are in the denomination today? Uh, currently
1: we have... Um... Twenty-four congregations, 25 now this year, 25 congregations in four presbyteries.
0: Okay, and we know that there's at least one in Edmonton and
1: one on Grand Island, New York. Where else are there Bible press congregations? Uh, we have a group that's down, a small group that tr- that is from New York down through Virginia, and then we have a concentration in Florida. Greatest concentration now is in the Northwest, from Northern California up through Edmonton. And then we have our group up in the, the Great Lakes region.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, who attends the the synod of the Bible press? And actually, to back up, in case you haven't been listening to our denominational debriefs, so I want to make sure I don't just skip over and assume you know the word. If you're familiar with Presbyterianism, usually uh, there's there's one of two terms that's used for the national level gathering or, or major regional gatherings of the church, and that is either synod or assembly. So in the PCA and in the OPC, we have general assemblies, and then in the ARP and the Bible Pres, we have general synods uh, to describe that uh, top level or I guess the, the the overall court of the church that meets annually or sometimes every other year in the case of the URCNA, United Reformed Church North America. So who then attends
1: your synod? Is it just pastors or is it pastors and ruling elders or what does it look like? The Bible Presbyterian Church um, General Synod is, is really a family gathering together and uh, we are not a delegated assembly. Every minister is supposed to attend and uh, every church is supposed to send a ruling elder so um, there's, no, there's not a rotation of people coming through. And I like that because there, there tends to be some consistency. People know what's going on. It, you, you don't have a point each year where a third of the people, it's their first time they're ever at a general Senate. So that's been helpful. But the other thing is that um, we actually have more ruling elders attending Senate than we did ministers so um, only two of our churches weren't able to send a ruling elder and there were enough um, ruling elders who came who were not who were seated as corresponding members and had privilege of the floor but weren't voting that we actually had more ruling elders than we had ministers at the senate
0: i think yours is the only denomination that i've done a debrief for this summer that had more ruling elders than uh, than pastors or teaching elders present uh, in their in their synod or their assembly, so that, that's an interesting
1: that's an interesting observation. So is that
0: generally true or is the ratio different?
1: Well, the ratio might be we might have a couple more ministers than ruling elders, but I think that that's not an unusual occurrence. So we have ruling, we'll have ruling elders who will come, whether they're delegated to come by their church or not, um, whether they they're the um, elder representing the church voting for the church. And they'll come regularly, and sometimes it's because they're they're on serving on an agency board that meets around Senate time. But other times that they come just because they want to be there for the fellowship and the preaching.
0: Mm-hmm. And if our listeners, if you have a calendar open in front of you and you look at the dates August third through August seventh, you see they t- it takes place over a weekend. It's basically an extended weekend meeting, and of course Sunday is committed yes. to resting from the business and focusing on the worship that takes place during an assembly. But um, it's a fairly short gathering in terms of, or when you compare it to the OP or the PCA
1: uh, general assemblies. Well, we're a smaller denomination on the one hand, but there's another day in there that's a rest day too. Mm -hmm. So uh, we tried a a day shorter uh, General Synod this year, and we were able to get through the business, but we didn't have a lot of overtures coming up. Um, In another year where we may have more, we might have to have a longer meeting. Uh, But as you mentioned, the Lord's Day is certainly designated for worship and um, fellowship. The Saturdays are generally kept open as well. And the purpose for that is we, we hold the Synod in different places, and our goal is to have the ministers of the denomination be able to be together, go out and take a trip to see the mountains, go to some local museum, but to do it with the other ministers and elders in the denomination that they hardly get to see to build up the fellowship that sometimes ministers are sitting in churches, and there isn 't another Bible Presbyterian Church for hours and hours around them, and so it it enables us to have a closer connection than we would otherwise yeah that is that is very valuable
0: and I'm trying to do the math quickly in my head you have twenty four churches, all but two sent uh a a representatives and then most of those churches that did send at least one sent two representatives some of them sent two yeah and and then some sent even more than
1: that so how many total guys did you have there with you? no, I had that written down somewhere it's not a lot we had because uh, not every church was able to come mm-hmm. so I think we had nineteen um nineteen ministers and then we had uh, more than that in ruling elders okay so. Less than fifty, so mm-hmm. a small, small, tight assembly. knit group. Yeah, That's yeah. very similar
0: to the RCUS. Right. If if you want to, if you haven't listened to that yet, I interviewed another new board member, Travis Grassmid, who's a graduate of the seminary and an RCUS pastor. And uh, their their general synod, much like the BPC, was held in a local church and had about fifty or fewer um, delegates. I think that's right forgive me if i got that wrong and you're an rcus listener and you know the number off the top of your head so how does the bpc conduct their synod
1: we start off with prayer every day an extended prayer period we have Mm -hmm. um, a theme that runs through the synod and there are usually three sermons or messages every day that are and they're not devotionals they're full sermons so that takes up the normal uh you know a good chunk of the time we start off the first day And as the business comes in, then we give time for our standing and temporary committees to meet and do their work. And then we start getting the committee reports to vote on them in the successive days. That's pretty similar to most general assemblies today. Uh, Probably the significant difference, though, is that the Bible Presbyterian Church does a lot of its work through um, independent agencies. And I don't think you find that in most of the Presbyterian Reformed churches. Is there a historical
0: reason for that?
1: Yeah, we're we're a continuation of the Northern Presbyterian Church, and the Northern Presbyterian Church always supported both committees of the church and independent agencies. And as we dealt with the fundamentalist-modernist controversy um, back in the 1930s and watched the denominations encroach the boards of the seminaries and the missions agencies— the agencies that were the response to that was to found independent agencies like Westminster Seminary, which to this day is still an independent agency, and the Independent Board for Presbyterian Foreign Missions, which had as its first um, president, J. Gresham Machen. Um, so those were those ran alongside of the committees of the church. And currently in the Bible Presbyterian Church, we can have either, but we tend to do a lot of our work. For example, our missions work is done largely through Presbyterian Missionary Union. And so we we have a board that's made up only of officers of the church. So you have to be a minister, ruling elder, those are the people that we put on the board. And then they're responsible to the church through their their own connection to each congregation and presbytery. Meanwhile, they do the work of missions. We'll have our final board meeting before the synod meets, and then they simply make a report to the synod.
0: So there's no such thing in the Bible, pres as— a um as a teaching elder at large or somebody who is uh holding their credentials out of bounds as in not serving in a local church or are there men that have functions within the denomination that occupy their time such that they can't maintain a, a pastorate or serve as or be a ruling elder on a local session
1: well sure military chaplains i mm-hmm. would be one example of people who don't yep. maintain uh, ministry at a local session level and uh I think we have chaplains, chaplains retired. I'm thinking, uh, you know, even right now, the people who head up our denominational agencies, whether it's a seminary or whether it's missions, um, are at least part-time in a local congregation.
0: Mm -hmm. So they have that level of accountability there Mm -hmm. from a local session.
1: Right. Now, what are the worship services like at the Bible Press?
0: Do you all usually have a uniting theme at General Synod or, or not? And if you do have some kind of theme, was there one this year that's worth commenting on?
1: Yeah, the moderator who is elected this year will be the one who picks the theme for the coming year. And so this year it was the exclusive excellence of Christ and focusing in on the Reformation. The Reformation restores the dignity of Christ, and then that was broken down in dignity of Christ as prophet, dignity of Christ as priest, dignity of Christ as the king. And so there was both uh, a parallel. The morning sermon would be related to the effects of Rome in destroying those doctrines and the Reformation restoring it and what needs to be done to maintain it. And then the afternoon sermon would be focusing on just the excellence of Christ as say our King, or the excellence of Christ as our prophet, the excellence of Christ as our priest. And then the evening messages were um were not necessarily related to that. So for example, one one evening message was on the Reformation's impact on music and worship. So it's linked to Christology
0: and linked to the Reformation. I like how you all interwove it together. Do, do you already have the theme picked out for next year?
1: No, that's the, that's the role of the, of the minister or moderator who's just elected, and he'll usually announce that in April. We'll look forward to seeing that. I, I plan,
0: I'm hoping, to be able to join you all for your general sit-in next year. We'll love to have you do that.
1: It'll be in Lakeland, Florida.
0: Oh, that'll be fun because yeah. Samuel Vitilino is down there. That's and, right. uh, and, uh, also one of another new board member, uh, Reverend Doctor David McWilliams is the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church PCA in Lakeland. So great. it'll be great to make a trip down there. Though I don't know about going to Florida in August, but I, I guess yeah, I could handle it. We're right?
1: probably not the um, highest academic Presbyterian denomination if we picked- you know, Florida in August for our. <laughs> and there's something, some part of that we missed out on. Edmonton in August sounds a lot better. Yeah, that was a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, can
0: you provide us with an overview of specifically what happened over the course of this year's synod? You can highlight any particularly significant decisions you all made. Um, you said you didn't have too many overtures this year, but if you
1: did, um, or
0: what, whatever other kind of business
1: you addressed. Yeah, well, we finalized one uh, from last year, one change to our um, mm, form of government. and just had to do with adding biological into the descriptions of you know office bearers being male, biological men. It's uh, unfortunately, today we keep having to add adjectives just to be clear on what we're stating. And uh, so that was, to, that was a small thing. Uh, another thing that had come up, and I think it's kind of odd, and I've looked at it in several of the books that Presbyterians have. In our forms of government, we specify that a person who's finished his, what would be like the middle of year, two years of seminary, should then, you know, approach licensure. But it's amazing in how many of the books you go on. And then when it talks about ordination, it does not talk about having finished the seminary. And so just to make sure there was no confusion on that, um, an overture came up that we specified the completion of an MDiv or an MDiv equivalent uh, for ordination. So that one was, was placed in the book. Those were those were really just um, kind of like fleshing out what was already there.
0: Is uh, is there some kind of allowance made for men that are about to graduate and just the timing of presbyteries and, and yes. different things are in place where it would make sense to get ordained
1: before you walk for graduation? Sure. If you had a call before you walked for graduation, then we would be, you know, happy to work on that. In, in essence, you would have completed your degree. But the, the point of this was just uh, for people who had said, well, I took a two-year MA somewhere, or I took, a, I, I took an equivalent of an MA somewhere, or I never finished my degree and I'm not planning to. We wanted to make sure that they understood that the goal, the, the, the goal that we're looking for is the f- complete MDiv or an MDiv equivalency. That makes sense. It's good to be clear. The other, the other things that were kind of interesting in our synod this year included um, one, one uh, mission field we're working on. We have missions currently in China and Cambodia and Myanmar and in Brazil. Um, and the work in Myanmar has been going on for a little over a decade now. It's an area that I do a lot of work in. And uh, we started off with a, a single um, person working as an evangelist there. Uh, who was himself from Myanmar. And he's worked now for 12 years, and we have um, a congregation established that that has now become self-sustaining because our goal is to have self-sustaining, self-perpetuating, self-propagating congregations, and beyond that for church plants. And the thing that that to me is beautiful is that very often when you're doing work in Myanmar, you find that the Chin people, which is one tribe up near Mizoram, India, Those people uh, received Presbyterian missionaries many years ago, and there are so many Christians in that region that in Burma there's actually a a saying: says you can't start a church without at least two Chin, without at least two people from the Chin tribe. And when you when you find Presbyterian churches that are doing evangelism very often, they're they're going out to try and bring churches together from other Chin. But the congregations that we're working with recognize that there are 13 other major tribal regions or states in the country, most of whom are untouched by the gospel, most of whom are harder to work in. And so while there's one church, one Chin congregation planted, they also have two sh- congregations planted up in the Shan State, which is largely Buddhist and other religions. So I've been really happy to see those working. We're working to help those church planters um, fill out, finish uh, an MDiv while they're serving out in the field, because travel in and out of Burma has been so hard over the years. And then we also had an orphanage uh, that our congregation, another BP congregation in Australia together worked on. Um, And so that orphanage is up and running. And one of the real joys was to see one of the young men who had grown up in the orphanage now going out and he's beginning his training and doing work as a church planter.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. What are your formal relationships with these Church plants in those countries you named, and also in Australia, are are they part of the BPC in America, or do they have their own um, BPC denominations in their part of the world or their countries that they're in? Or um, you know, is there some kind of super um, superintending international connection between you all? How, how does that work ecclesi-
1: uh, ecclesiastically? Well, that's a good question, and it's different in both of those cases. The church in Perth, Australia, was a work of our mission board, and after they reached a point of being self-sustaining and that missionary was was leaving the field and retiring, um, they were closer to the polity structure of the Singapore BP Church, because we had a large, a large grouping of Bible Presbyterians in Singapore, which would have been a sister church. So they've been functioning with them right now. Um, the churches in Myanmar, we wrestled with exactly what polity structure to use, and we didn't want to just start off sometimes Presbyterian churches seem to start off like, well, we'll be Baptist until we finally get to a certain stage, and then we'll then we'll try and teach everybody how to work as a Presbytery. So instead we— um, By
0: Baptist, you meant independent or— Independent, yeah.
1: congregational, or whatever. And if you're in Myanmar, you'll end up being Baptist. That's the third largest Baptist country in the world. So um, instead, we, we wrestled with that. And uh, early in Northern Presbyterian history, the New York Presbytery had taken responsibility for missions overseas— and the Great Lakes Presbytery was the New York Presbytery. So the Great Lakes Presbytery offered to super supervise and superintend the ministry in Myanmar in conjunction with Presbytery Missionary Union and our seminary. And so the churches in Myanmar, the the, the church, because there's one in there's one particular church right now, is a member of the Bible Presbyterian Church, Great Lakes Presbytery. And the church plants are church plants under the session of that congregation. And each one has an elder from the congregation working in them. Our, our, our heart's goal is to see them become an, uh, an independent church. And so we expect that within the next 10 years, we'll continue to support the work there, although the missionary doesn't need to be supported anymore. Um, we only are looking to see a couple more churches going on. And at that point, they'll have two presbyteries, and the, then we would uh, recognize them as a sister church. That's great. That's our goal.
0: Now, what other what other issues did you all address? So you, we talked about foreign missions. Anything else that went on at Synod that's worth commenting on?
1: Yeah, um, we, we've got some restructuring going on in our seminary. Um, new presidents coming in. Those are issues that we talked about. But uh, probably the, the most significant thing is a project that um, has been very near, near to my heart for 30 years. And uh, we've been working on it for about twenty five and that is the fraternal relationship between the Bible Presbyterian Church and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church.
0: Why is that important to you?
1: <clears throat> well, um, originally the Bible Presbyterian Church was a part of uh, a, a large international council, seven hundred member churches, almost no discipline, very you know very little doctrinal agreement beyond the gospel and uh, all of our relationships with other churches were through that organization in the eighties. We withdrew from that organization um, because of the lack of discipline that took place, and so the Bible Presbyterian Church began to um, seek out uh, the method by which we would have bilateral relations directly with other churches. And we initially had our first relationship was with the Reformed Presbyterian Church Hanover. Um, We also have a fraternal relationship with the Presbyterian Church of Brazil. We have a missionary teaching biblical counseling in one of their seminaries. Um, Then we also have a fraternal relationship at the very first lowest level, just starting with heritage congregations, heritage reform congregations. But the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and the Bible Presbyterian Church were once one church. And while that common heritage, you would think, would make life easier and and having a fraternal relationship, sometimes it can make it harder.
0: So the Bible Pres came out of the OPC after J. gressa Machen led uh, this contingent of conservative and fundamentalist and confessional Presbyterians out of the Northern Church. Correct. So can you walk us through just I know there's a lot of history to unpack there. Can you watch it, walk us through uh, the, 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 the highlights reel of
1: that history? Uh, what years did it take place? I think 36. 36 was, out, the right? was the time we all came out of the, the Northern Presbyterian Church. And then at the death of Machen, we, you know, within a couple of years, um, <clears throat> the, the PCA was what it was called at the time, split into the PCA and the Bible Presbyterian Church. The PCA then had the the uh, courts tell them they had to change their name, so they became the Orthodox Presbyterian. Had Church. the
0: civil courts tell yes. them they had to change their name, yeah. and
1: that was because of a cease and desist order or a lawsuit from the, the Northern USA, the yeah. Northern Church, yeah, right. So, so those were the two churches that existed side by side. Why did they come apart? Um, there's two two versions of that, at least. Probably, if we got more people in the room, there could be more. Hmm. Um, I think in seminaries and Uh, Across the the world, you you quickly get this this type breakdown. Um, Number one, the um, Bible Presbyterian Church was supposedly dispensational. Number two, the Bible Presbyterian Church um, was teetotaling. Number three, the Bible Presbyterian Church um, did all their work through independent agencies. You know, what's true there is the Bible Presbyterian Church did their work, both independent and agencies of the church, and now we do it almost that way exclusively, but we didn't have to. I usually I find it interesting to ask a question from people. I ask Presbyterians why do you think we have a general synod when the Northern Presbyterian Church always had a general assembly? And if you remember in the in the old days, the general assembly there was a lower level of court which is called the general synod
0: between presbyteries and the assembly. Correct.
1: And so there was tremendous tension, you know, after we all came out of the Northern Church, and there were there were premillennialists in the Bible Presbyterian Church. There may have been some dispensationalists, but the denomination never asked to protect dispensationalists. It acts, asked to be allowed to be sure that the liberty that had always existed for there to be premillennialists in the church would not be continually eroded, and we believed that it was.
0: In the OPC, it was even being continually eroded.
1: It is. Yes, it was. Correct. And so there was a debate. And you, I, you know, I went back uh, at one point in time, I worked with Carl McIntyre, and I had access to um, what was called the Christian Beacon and the Christian Guardian So the OPC with Machen had the Christian Guardian printed on one side of the river in Philadelphia. And over on the other side of the river in New Jersey, there was a response in the Christian Beacon. And these two newspapers were weekly papers, and you could read the traffic going back and forth. And so, you know, the the Guardian would accuse the BPs of being dispensational, and the BPs would would fire back from the the notes in their conventions and go like, this is what we actually said. We're pre-mill, not dispensational. So that debate is still up in the air. Um, it seems, and unfortunately the, the gentleman who was there didn't write it down and he's sense with the Lord, but a dear saint and, and, and friend um, had a relative who was there the night the BPs went over to discuss this with the OPC finally, and uh, bef- one last attempt before they formed the General Synod. And on the one hand, what they, they claimed they were asking for was not to um, split the church, what they were asking for was to have a synod of coaffinity so that premillennialists would be able to exist without being attacked. And that was denied, and, and frankly, I agree with denying it. I don't really agree with having synods of coaffinity, because it divides the church needlessly. Well, that's what the the Presbyterian
0: Church in the 19th century did. Um, yes. And I'm not talking about the split between the Northern and Southern Church. I'm talking about before that in the old school, new school debates, and even in the 18th century with the new side and the old side debates you had synods that were layered on top of each other geographically and yes. and you know it, it was confusing probably confusing to both the people in the church, but also people outside of the church. Correct. Uh, it compromises
1: your witness that way. Yeah. So I get what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, so I don't agree with the approach, but that's... There's a historical precedent for it. There was least. a historical precedent. That was the approach they were taking. And that was turned down and the Bible Presbyterian Church began. I would suggest that in, in all reality from people who were there at the time, that I think uh, both all sides agreed that with some of the strong personalities in leadership on both sides that they were only going to be at loggerheads for ages and that in order to get de- to get on, they decided to go their separate ways. Um, I think that's unfortunate. Now you could say that's just revisionist history um, and that that's uh, what people always like to say. It wasn't about the issues. It was about personalities, but that's a testimony I had from some people who were alive at the time who I can no longer, you know, put down citations from. But anyways, the churches went their separate ways at that time. And and it became quite common as they, as they grew apart. They grew apart in culture because the OPC really gravitated towards the more continental Reformed people that were here in the United States. And the Bible Presbyterian Church really um, tried to live out to what they claimed they believed to be a continuation of the historic uh, Northern Church, which was not continental at all. And then w- during that fundamentalist modernist controversy, the Presbyterians, Machin and all of us, were allied with the fundamentalists very much. And so Bible Presbyterians ended up really being excluded from some of the reform circles, but more in connection with some of the fundamentalist circles, and that had an impact on us for a number of years. That's changed. Um, it changed really in the in the very early 80s, and uh, I think they've recovered, and people have gone back in our minutes, and they can see that trend taking place, that they really recovered their original confessional um, commitments, and that's characterizes our church today. And so uh, I remember going to meet with the— um, the OPC in their first general assembly, and it was down at Harvey Cedars. It was a day it was so hot and humid that you couldn't even see the second story of the building. The the humidity just hung that low.
0: And Harvey Cedars, are you serious? That's wild. And Harvey Cedars is in New Jersey. In New Jersey on in the case, beach. Yeah. yeah, I'm familiar with it because I'm from Philly. but yeah. I'm not going to assume that our listeners, in Brazil, yeah, in Brazil probably, uh, yeah, or no.
1: in, uh, in California. And air conditioning was broken. Right? I mean, oh, it was yeah. just a crazy day, and and nobody, um, and, and rightfully so, when they asked to introduce a Bible Presbyterian to speak to the OPCGA, there was some real. Objection. But they said, you know, you're going to want to hear what this guy has to say. And, and so I came on behalf of the Bible Presbyterian Church and I said, look, at, from, from our perspective, um, we, are chil- we are like children of parents who got divorced 50 years ago. And we have grown up in separate homes and we have developed some very different ways of approaching life. But we have more in common than we realize. And we are like separated members of a family. And it's the Bible Presbyterian Church is here to say that we would like to restore as much as we can of that relationship. I so said we may never, like those children, live in the same house again, but we don't have to spit at each other and attack each other. Uh, we can function in a way that you know demonstrates that we belong to Christ. Um, that was a that was a great day, and uh, we began the process, and it hasn't been easy. But uh, twenty four years after we started the Bible Presbyterian Church invited the um, Orthodox Presbyterian Church this year into full fraternal relations, and the OPC responded, and so we now have a full fraternal relationship, and we're working on various ways. They've helped us in seminars on church planting. We've been very careful to actually live up to a comedy agreement in planting churches when we don't even have one on paper. Um, but we've done that. We've helped out in disaster relief, and we're looking on at finding a way to formalize that relationship so we can just serve together when those things come up.
0: And a comedy agreement, basically, in church planning, what that means is the BPs are agreeing not to plant a church basically right on top of an OPC church. We were
1: getting ready to do a church plant, and we vetted you know every, every site we had with the... Um, OPC headquarters. And do you have anything there? Are you about to start anything there? And, and until the answer was no, we just went and did something somewhere else. So that's how we're functioning today. And quite honestly, in those days, if you could st- stood up on the floor of a general synod of the Bible Presbyterian Church and said anything nasty you wanted to about the OPC, nobody pr- would have stopped you. And honestly, no, it would have been the same in the OPC. And, and now it's not the same at all. So we're thankful for that relationship.
0: And I think our brothers in the OPC are thankful for it, too. They seem to be, yeah. And from my vantage point, um, for what it's worth, I am i really appreciate what's going on. I'm a student of history, and I really enjoy seeing how these historical loose ends, uh, driven in large part by personality, like you said, uh, are, are being tied up a bit, and you see signs of humility and, uh, and declarations that express a lot of humility. So it's encouraging to me. I I... Um, congratulate you on the work that you've done. Our listeners might not be aware, but Dr. Backus has at great personal cost with some of his brothers in the BPC has really gone to the mats in favor of reconciliation between the two denominations, between these separated children, as it were. And um, it's admirable. It's admirable, so it's it's worth keeping tabs on that and praying for the Bible Press and the OPC. Um, if if you're inclined to pray for denominational bodies, like I am, <laughs> you can pray for them in the same breath now uh, as as they continue on this path of relationship and and building their relationship. So. Is there any other work that you wanted to discuss in terms of what was hit on at, at Synod, or should I move on to my next question?
1: Yeah, the only other thing would be we decided to keep a permanent observer status at Park, which is new. Um, and so we're encouraged by that. Um, I attended ICRC personally, International Co- Conference of Reformed Churches, and uh, we'll consider what to do about that in the future at some time.
0: And these are ecumenical bodies that exist in order to promote these things like comedy agreements mm-hmm. and, and provide some some level of discipline and oversight. And uh, you can read up on uh, some not, not drama. You can read up on some big news at our ICRC that's really a good test case for what it looks like when these international ecumenical bodies exercise discipline against a member body. And, um, and you can see you know if there is any value to them, this is where it lies and and we'll leave it there. We'll leave it rest there. So is the, is the Bible pres uh, Presbyterian Church currently involved in uh, or or what mission works do you have domestically? You talked about what's going on abroad, particularly in Myanmar? I really right. enjoyed hearing about that. What about here in the in
1: North America? what kinds of plants are you all working on? Well, currently there's, there's a church plant uh, through a local church in Orlando, Florida, with one of the graduates here from GPTS, and that's um, going along exceptionally well. Um, our church that was planted in Bonner Street, Idaho, uh, it has been particularized for a couple of years, and we expect it to be fully self-supporting by next year, so we're excited for that. And then we have a church plant—or not church plant, that's probably the wrong term—we have an outreach um, in forming a church in the Tacoma area, uh, and that's a a work being done by one of our graduates who is Korean, and he's really targeting the second-generation Koreans, and there are many of them in the Seattle-Tacoma area.
0: When you say one of our graduates, you mean from— Western, Western Seminary. Western Reform yeah.
1: Seminary, yeah, sorry. Um, and uh, and so he's doing a great work there, and there are some—the you know, churches really have experienced a, um, a number of the second-generation Koreans that just sort of drift away and, and, and aren't able to find a home in a church. And so he's really trying to work to help gather those and work with them. We've got some work going on around the—well, actually, from one man who's doing work from Portland up through Seattle with the Indonesian— Populations that are in the area, so the and the Orlando work is really working with the Brazilian population that's in the Miami area. Yeah, I think Sam just baptized like twenty two people
0: or or welcomed them into the church as, right. as new members.
1: Right. So we're we're very happy to see opportunities. Um, often that are overlooked by other denominations that we're we're happy to be able to work in some small niches that uh, the Lord opens up to us.
0: What was the uh, you know, this is a question I like to close on and and leave it open for you to take in any direction you'd like. Dr. Backus, what was the single most encouraging takeaway from Synod for you? I, I can guess as to what it may have been, but i'll I'll let I'll like. <laughs> I, rather than take a guess, I'll let you sure. articulate yourself.
1: Well, you know, I, I guess I'd be, you know, drawn between two things. We're, actually, really, there are three things. Um, the first was to see God's blessing on our missionaries serving in Myanmar. And, um, you know, often over the years, people say, like, how do you get so much done? You know, a small church, small denomination, small budgets. As largely because of the character of the people that God has sent to work with us and His faithfulness to them, and, and to see this congregation that has that has grown and, and and themselves have a vision for reaching their nation and are and to be able to be be a part of that and to see the entire Bible Presbyterian Church enter into it as this is a work that we we all want to have some part in. That was exciting and. And then, of course, um, the theme of the Synod this year and the centering on the the work of Christ as our prophet and our priest and our king and the importance of maintaining that. I just got home and have been uh, experiencing another one of these moves in western New York, which, uh, what is it, the Christ together move and denominations are bad and, and doctrine is bad and everything's bad except, you know, we all got to be together for Christ. And I'm just not sure who that Christ is when they're done. And it just reminds me of the importance. Sometimes I I wonder, do we need to keep saying these things to to the people in our churches? And the answer is yes, in this world. And then, of course, um, the relationship with the Orthodox Presbyterian Church was a real precious time um, to see that being cemented and to see God. um, God's used that process to continue... The sanctification of the Bible Presbyterian denomination I and mean, denominations need to, to grow and in, in Christ as well. And I think that the entire process that we've been through has encouraged us to examine mm, who we are, and how we approach other believers, and how we work with other believers and, you know, not to lose a commitment for holiness and, and godliness. And yet at the same time, be able to work with those of like precious faith and this is just the first of, of many opportunities we'll have to do it. That's very well put. Are
0: there any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Well, I'm so thankful for Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary as well, because you are doing the kind of work to prepare the kind of people that the church needs today, to, to preach to the to the hearts of God's people today, to prepare them uh, for that full commitment to the the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ that Bible Presbyterians appreciate and uh, that others I, throughout the Presbyterian world appreciate it. Sometimes I think that, you know, God's, those of us that think in a certain way are just spread throughout, you know, the, the various denominations. And it's, it's, it's like if the United States was a big blanket and you tossed it all up in the air. We probably all fall together in different groupings than we may be in now, but you know, you were serving a, div- a diverse swath of that and preparing the next generation of ministers. And we need that, and we're going to need that soon in the Bible Presbyterian Church.
0: That's exciting.
1: Thank you so much for joining me
0: again, Dr. Backus. And I, I end these denominational debriefs with a common exhortation, and that is to pray. I ask my listeners again to not neglect praying for denominational bodies. We see what happens when denominational bodies are left to languish theologically or left to drift uh, for a lack of prayer on the part of people who ought to know better. And, and that sounds like strong language, but uh, as I consider church history, um, I'm not one to, to knee jerk react and say denominations are useless or denominations are wicked or evil or whatever. I think that uh that the the good fruit that has come out of um denominational churches churches with stated creeds and confessions and and who teach by those creeds and confessions the fruit has been greater than 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 the bad fruit right so i am one that's passionate for praying for the bible pres the associate reform pres the rpcna the pca the opc the the rc the hrc the urcna whatever i keep on going for forever <laughs> so Uh, And especially this year, as we have students from many of these denominations, uh, historically, and I think it's largely because of scale and because of our history, Greenville Seminary has and still is uh, served... men who come out of the PCA and go into the PCA, but we also serve many men who come out of and go into the OPC. We're serving more and more men who come out of and plan to go into the Bible Press. We have men that come out of and go into the ARP. We have men who, who uh, we had our first graduate who went through our whole program go into the RPCNA this year. We have men who have gone into the URCNA, the RCUS, and so we, and of course, the, uh, the Brazilian Church, the, the Presbyterian Church of Brazil. We are a, a seminary that has this ecumenical reach. Like Dr. Backus said, if you toss us all up in the air, we'd probably land uh, in different groupings, but it would be largely the same kind of theological bent. So we have a heart for um, denominations, and I just encourage you to pray for them. Please pray for Dr. Backus and his efforts. And pray for the Bible prayers. Dr. Backus, thank you again for joining me. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, please visit www.gpts.edu.